Take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison. Recording within three prisons across the Colorado Department of Corrections. Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Sterling Correctional Facility. Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center. Denise Price. Andrew Drake. Terry Mosley Jr. Sean J. Marshall. Ashley Hamilton. Sarah Berry. Brett Phillips. Angel Lopez. Travis Barnes. Matthew Labonte. Ms. Grant. Here at Within, as we work to shift the conversation on who is in prison, we've asked our guests and our hosts to freely share their perspective. The opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the person who gave them. This episode of Within was recorded over six months, six sites, and using six different recording devices. There are going to be moments when our sound quality is not as perfect as we wanted it to be. We'll ask for your understanding and let you know that we're always working to provide a wonderful listening experience. I would do amazing things, so they believe that daily we can be the very change that we want to see. So I gotta live courageously, embracing peace and love contagiously, until they call me Travis Mighty. I will do amazing things, so they believe that daily we can be the very change that we want to see. But I gotta live courageously, embracing peace and love contagiously, until they call me Travis Mighty. You know, Denise, the word gift usually brings to mind celebrations and gatherings with fancy rap packages. And as we planned this season, we spoke of moments that felt horrific and moments where silver linings to our dark clouds were visible. You know, in sifting through these fears, isolation and loss, you know, there was so much loss and a lot of uncertainty. You know, through all of that, we managed to find fancy rap gifts of compassion, clarity, purpose and invaluable, priceless memories and people. To set the word horrific down next to the word gift allows for what I hope to be a curiosity into the light that was gathered when the world seemed to have scattered into dark times. The silver linings that fringe the clouds of fear among the daily uncertainty of COVID were maybe, just maybe they were visible in kindness and connection. Perhaps the darkness was, and it probably still is for some, too thick to escape. We explore the accounts of these three people that all share perspectives within this episode of the horrific gift of COVID. In this episode, we're going to hear a conversation between an incarcerated person on our team, Matthew Labonte, and a non-incarcerated person. His friend, Professor Wayne Gilbert, about isolation and the connections that break through prison and social distancing. Then we're going to hear from two CDOC frontline workers, and then Denise and I will reflect on our experiences as incarcerated people living in prison through COVID. First up, we've got Matt and Wayne. I am Matthew Labonte, and we are here today with my mentor, my friend, Professor Wayne Gilbert, aka Magma Poet. Wayne, welcome. Welcome to Within. We're happy to have you here today, and I am so happy to be speaking to you today. I am too. Thank you so much. I'm just, I'm just so pleased to be here. I was wondering, Wayne, before we started, if you wouldn't mind just running us down some of your bona fides, you know, kind of your academics and some of the volunteer stuff that you've done. Give us a very gratuitous list of just how awesome you are. Well, I'm, I spent 37 years teaching and teaching teachers in English and then also in educational psychology. After I retired, I became a full-time poet. I'm also now doing workshops 
online during these times. For people with Parkinson's and care partners, I was diagnosed in 2005 with Parkinson's disease. And so I, I really uh, like to help other people with Parkinson's use poetry to sort of help them find meaning and relief and even beauty in, in this experience of living with this disease. I just published a new book of poems this month and I'm excited, I'm excited that that's out. Um, all right, that's enough. <laughs> the humility kicks in. So Wayne, let's, let's hop in it. You're my friend. I consider you one of my best friends and my being in prison, well, you know, I come from a place where I was probably about 10 years into my incarceration and I had cut off a lot of the connections that I had. You know, I lost a lot of my family. A lot of the friends that I had had drifted away. It's kind of an inevitable consequence of incarceration. A lot of your old life just starts to go away. And so you kind of retreat into this place where you compartmentalize yourself into something that feels safe. Just like free people are out there and I'm in here. But then I have you as a friend and then we become disconnected. I think it's really interesting the way you talked about though being disconnected or sort of, and maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but I don't, it just occurred to me. I, when the pandemic started, I remember f experiencing that initial shock of isolation, of uncertainty, like who knew what the future was gonna be? My family was far away, even though they're all in the, in the area where I live, I, they, were, they were out of my life for who knew how long in every way. And I remember, I remember writing to you saying like, how do you do this, man? How do you, how do you handle the, the smallness of this new world and the absence of people you love? And I just felt certain that you had probably developed some skills in that regard that I really needed to learn now because my life was somehow like yours in ways I, I didn't feel like it was before, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I remember at the beginning of our friendship, you would urge me to call, and I always felt like, nah, I don't want to infringe myself in his life. I don't want to be a burden. He might have family and friends over. And then I remember on Christmas Day, I went to call my dad, who was the only person that I have called for years, and somehow my fingers dialed the wrong number. I don't even know how it happened. And when I call my dad, I always greet him, hey, daddy-o. And of course, that greeting translates equally well to the jazz man poet that you are. And you didn't miss a beat. You were like, oh, hey, I'm so glad that you called. And I was confused for a moment. I was like, why is my dad so glad to hear from me? I know he likes talking to me, but this is a bit over the top. And it took me a second to even put together that I had even called you. And when I did immediately I felt the joy in your voice but it still took me a minute to connect to that and it was actually a few months later I, I believe it was in March of last year that I worked up the courage to thrust myself into your life out there I called you in the middle of the pandemic as soon as I called you I could hear it in your voice that you were in it man you, you were in it I could hear the isolation and the loneliness that are such an integral part of living incarcerated. 
And as soon as I heard that, I was like, wow. And it was an affirmation that you thought of me as an equal and that you speak to me as an equal as well. Yeah, that's a great moment. And then when, when I realized, yeah, as March came and, and we began to talk a little more often and a little more regularly, and I could expect to hear from you rather than, you know, sort of once in a while, like m more regularly. Yeah, then it, that made other kinds of conversations possible. And I, I really wanted to know, like, how the hell do you do this? But I really needed your help in that regard to help, help me survive this, this new world I found myself in that, that I'd made, that was due to no choice of my own. Yeah, I remember at one point you asked me a question. You asked about my cellmate. You asked, how do you guys live in such close confines? I don't understand how you do that in lockdown. And you drew the parallel. You live in this condo, but now you're in there. You're in quarantine. You're not going out as much. And your wife, you were kind of experiencing this new relationship with your wife. So there was this parallel relationship drawn between your wife and my cellmate. So I'm going to flip that on its head, Wayne. How is your wife like my cellmate? I th well, yeah, I mean, we, we have 1,100 square feet, which I'm sure is a lot less than, than your house. But to be, and we've been together for 40, 43 years, 44 years now. And, but it's different when you when the door is locked and no one comes in and we don't go out. And we really had to learn how to, how to make this space work for each of us. And she still worked full time as a, as a community college math teacher. And I still have my work. I, I write every morning for a couple of hours and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was very uh, difficult. But I remember one thing you said to me along the, about that issue was that it seemed to you in retrospect that you and your Sally like almost became quieter during lockdowns and communicated even maybe a little less than you had before. And that was partly for this need to sort of hold space for yourself as well as kind of hold space for the other person in order for, for it, it to feel less crowded. So, and I began to think then in terms of, well, what if this isn't really about actual physical space? This is more about um, psych psychological or emotional or maybe even some kind of spiritual space to, ma to maintain an identity, but also still be able to connect with the other person without like without that sort of friction of being rubbing up against each other and into each other and that sort of thing. Yeah, there's something to be said about moving through life without crashing into each other. You learn that well in prison. You learn how to move through the environment. And you talk a lot about not wanting to appropriate the experience of prison, not wanting to say that it is the exact same experience but more and more, I think that we found more parallels and that we were living the same experience. You have a different skin on your experience. You have a condo. I have a prison cell. But at the root of it, we were both individuals that were identifying with these same things. Isolation, loneliness, the erosion of trust. I remember you telling me about going out to walk. Yeah, I mean, every human being suddenly was a potential threat. 
And I'm kind of an introvert by nature. Yeah, suddenly I saw human, my fellow human beings in a very, very different light. And other people were suddenly this, some kind of danger. And the danger was invisible. And, and that's how, in a way, my, our space here also then became a kind of refuge, a sort of shelter, a sanctuary even. I began to feel more like a monk and less like a, a prisoner in solitary confinement. So I felt like I, would, I, I could think of myself and begin to act even as a kind of monk in this sort of sacred space if I wanted to claim that. And I began to experience and enjoy my solitude even in new, in new and vital ways. How about you? Because there were long periods, there have been a couple of really long periods where we were simply out of touch. And then it was just about like worrying about each other. Or at least for me, this, it was a whole new experience, except for when my dad was in Vietnam in 1967. You know, to, to be that out of touch with someone I'd really learned to care about was really, really difficult. Yeah, like I said, in, in prison, you cut off a bunch of that stuff. It's the safe place to be. And I've been locked down in prison for extended periods before, but all of a sudden it was so much more difficult because I was learning how to miss someone again, you know? It had been a while since I had missed anyone. And I missed you, man. I couldn't call you for whatever reason, and you were gone from my life, and I felt the pain of that. And while the pain of that hurt, at the same time, there was a comfort found in that because there was someone out there missing me as well. And I knew that. And you made that so clear to me. And you brought me along in that. Brought me along in missing our connection through this pandemic, you know? The pandemic was a, a, a kind of reckoning. And Parkinson's is as well. But the, the pandemic just brought it home even harder that you, you just can't maintain all the connections that you want to maintain. And here you are now, like, no, that's just not possible. I have to make decisions. I have to, I have to start, dare I say, cutting people off because I just don't have what it takes to stay linked in all those ways. But trying to be better at doing the dance between solitude and engagement, between sort of being quiet with myself and responding to the requests or needs of others to be engaged in communities that also like and, and relationships communities and relationships that really like feed my soul in the same way that solitude does and I've been I've become more I got more skillful at it and that's what I thought and that's what I thought in the beginning Matt was that that somehow this was about certain kinds of skills that I never had the need for and, and to some extent that's true but it's also a different way of sort of being in the world. I don't know, would you agree with that? that? That somehow the way you are within yourself, but also then with others, that those things like have to shift in this way. It isn't just about developing a skill like learning calligraphy or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's a way of being and it's a way of being with others. And it is pervasive and it is sneaky and it'll hit you in ways that you don't expect. And, and it will teach you again how to miss things and how to care about things um, and allow you to do it in ways you didn't even expect. And somehow the pain you anticipated, one of the things I've heard you say, I think, 
these are my words, not yours, is that the, the, the pain you anticipate from being connected, even if it comes in exactly the way you were afraid of, it's still like worth it to be connected. And for me, the reverse kind of has been true, that to be disconnected in certain ways, which is, you know, I've spent my life sort of being out there, being on stage, if you will. And for me, it's more like it, being disconnected in new ways wasn't as painful as I imagined, or when it is, it's okay, man. It's, it's worth it. Well, Wayne, my friend, I have just one more question for you. And that is, how has the COVID-19 pandemic changed you? Man, that's the $60,000 question right there, man. Um, I, I can, two ways. I am definitely m much more comfortable and intentional and I accept solitude now. And in a way I've never been able to and, and, and in certain ways I've longed for all my life. That's one thing. It feels really good to just like, to let my introvert, if you will, just like, But the second thing scares me a little, and that is what I referred to later about the way I view other humans, other people. I'm really concerned that some aspect of that acceptance of solitude might be this new sort of anxiety about being around people. That really concerns me a lot. Um, so much that I've even begun to wonder, like, what's it like to leave prison after many years to go back out into this world that in so many ways is completely different from prison? What I feel sometimes I'm afraid is might be a little more like trauma than, than um, I'm really comfortable with accepting. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And again, you've drawn another parallel where we're kind of meeting in the middle of all this. And I just want to say that it's been a joy and a pleasure to meet you anywhere along the spectrum, Wayne. I'm honored to have you as a mentor, as a friend, and as a fellow traveler in this journey. Um, I think the last thing I want to ask you is just, is there anything that we didn't get to talk about that is burning in your heart to say? It's been, it's been a real pleasure. It's just been such, such a delight to see your face and your expressions. And we, we talk often on the phone, and I really appreciate and enjoy that. And we write back and forth and all of that. But it's really good to see your face after, after a long, long time of not being able to. So I'm glad we're here together today. What is there to say after meeting such a man? Love. I mean, I don't know, Andrew. It's like love is the only word I can feel right now. I'm just honored to have met Wayne, and I say thank you to Matthew Labonte. Yep. Thanks, Matt, for introducing us to Wayne, because I found his thoughts fascinating, especially the thought of an existing parallel between leaving prison and returning to whatever it is that we consider to be normal after quarantines and social distancing. I also found it interesting when he expressed how quickly we look at people differently and consider them to be other than due to just the potential threat of harm. And Denise, that makes me think of all the harm that we have actually created in our lives. 
because it's not just the threat of it. And to add to that, it makes me explore ways to actually heal that harm. And Wayne spoke to what I believe and what we in DU Pi have been saying for years. And that is that healing comes through relationships. It comes with connecting with other people. Yes, healing does come through connection. It sounds great in a perfect world, Andrew. But people are hurt. They're angry. And they're unwilling to be anything but pissed off towards perpetrators of crimes. I mean, yeah, that's a great idea. But retribution is at the top of the lists for most people affected by crime. I know I've created victims. And I also know that one crime can continuously harm in unthinkable ways. Denise, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And the way that I live my life is that I always lean towards hope. Hope that the heart speaks louder than the actual harm. And in this next segment, we'll hear from two hearts that speak loudly when Sarah introduces Sergeant Cooper and I introduce Nurse Susan. We'll go back and forth talking to these two frontline workers and hopefully we'll get an understanding to the actual depths of their care because they have been of great service to other people during this pandemic. Sergeant DeJory Cooper is very important to new female arrivals to CDOC as the laundry sergeant at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. And Nurse Susan of Sterling Correctional Facility has been a gift to so many people during this difficult time. But let's start with Sergeant Cooper. Sarah, take us away. All right, we are recording with Sergeant Cooper at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. Thank you for coming to see us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so nice to have you here. Thank you. So can you tell me a little bit about what that means to actually be a laundry sergeant within prison? Um, So basically, um, when girls initially come in, we issue them their greens and their yellows um, to make sure that they are in compliance for their state-issued clothing. But along the way, um, being a permanent facility, we also issue um, reissues. So every six months, it's three sets of whites, and we reissue those. um, And then... As needed, we do greens and yellows also. Greens and yellows. Let me clarify for those of us who may not know what these are. Greens are the uniform shirts and pants that are issued to all state prisoners. And yellows refer to the underwear and t-shirts that are given out to incarcerated ladies. But Denise, are new underwear such a good thing? Uh, Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, But let me not speak to the article of clothing. Let me speak to the act behind the article. Not just giving a new pair of underwear, but the woman behind that action. I think that having the privilege of knowing Sergeant Cooper is a privilege. But if more people carried her heart and her drive and her thoughtfulness into every interaction with another human, the world would be brighter And kindness wouldn't seem so hard to find, especially in dark times like 2020. Denise, you're right. But now let me introduce us to a bright light of hope that shined this last year. Susan, I'm curious how you found your way into prison nursing. Was there some kind of job posting or? Uh, No, I was. um, So I was burnt out as a hospital nurse and I was just, um, you know, done with that. And a friend of mine is a prisoner down in Texas. And she said, you should check this out. And I said, by God, what? And she's like, yeah, it is not what you think. Just do it. And I said, well, all right. So then I went online and applied. 
have not regretted it. Well, you know, my feet have regretted it a couple times in this last year, so I'm not going to lie about that. That was some hurtful stuff going on there, but, uh, you know, as a nurse, step in nursing and in um, learning, I certainly have not regretted it one way or two. Because you have such a unique perspective of working in prison during COVID, I would love to hear how COVID has actually affected you. Um, COVID has kind of changed the way I think as it, as far as um, kind of not knowing what to expect, what how long this is going to take, um, when there's going to be relief as far as even the vaccines um, and things like that. But now that people are getting vaccinated, how much longer are we still going to continue on this path? Um, also, just feeling isolation, I think. Um, not only in here, you know, they have spread us out work-wise, kind of just to practice social distancing, but also at home with family members and things like that. There's been a lot of changes as far as gatherings and things. COVID has definitely revealed so many things to us. One thing that we have heard people say is that they now have a feel for what being in prison is like because of all the mandates and the rules that have been implemented during the pandemic. Have you felt that there are similarities between your life outside and what you know about being incarcerated? Absolutely. Um, you know, trying to figure out um, even dinner sometimes and if you want to meet with family and things like that, how many people can go? Are you able to dine in? Um, so I see like even scheduling things like that, um, how you guys have to schedule your visits and um, I haven't been able to go see, you know, my dad in a different state or he hasn't been able to come see me because of the COVID restrictions. Um, and you guys have definitely been dealing with it much longer. And especially with scheduled visits and things like that, time limits. Um, so I can definitely relate a little bit, not anywhere near what you guys have experienced or are experiencing, but similar things. Susan, it's been hard for everyone throughout the pandemic, and I'm wondering if you have a story or an instance where you've witnessed a display of humanity between incarcerated people and staff during this time. Um, gee, I don't know if I have an instance. It was more, um, except for this horrible gift of COVID, that may have been the instance. There's a uh, barrier, a an invisible wall between people who are not in prison and people who are incarcerated. You know, when I came in, I guess I was expecting that. You know, I didn't, I, there are certain lines you can't cross. There are certain rules that, that are there, you know, and there still are, but there's attitude between some people that some people have, and it's on both sides. It's an us against them attitude. And at some point during the whole lockdown and stuff there's a point where it does you know it doesn't matter where people are in life where you know you just are i'm just there to help i'm there to do nursing tasks i'm there to take care of people i'm there to do you know my job and as a nurse is a very caring job you know i get you have to have rapport with your patients you have to talk to them you have to interact you have to communicate and I'm not going to have a barrier except for a, a common sense barrier 
that exists, you know, general rules of human interaction, whether it's age, gender, you know, whatever. So with the masks and social distancing and all the PPE for COVID, uh, it's just interesting to hear these two frontline workers um, start realizing that all these protective barriers in place to keep us safe and keep from spreading the virus, uh, they realized there were other barriers that were in place during the pandemic between staff and offenders. It is interesting because these barriers have existed for years, preventing us from seeing other people as just people. So I guess one of the gifts that COVID has given us is seeing the humanity in one another. But let's catch back up with Sarah. You mentioned having to come into work and not being able to be around other coworkers or having your workers with you because of lockdowns. What was that like for you? It, you know, it was coming in every day and not knowing um, if I was going to have my workers or not. And if we did go into phase three, um, you know, it's like, okay, two weeks, I can do this for two weeks. And then another positive comes up. And, um, you know, at one period it was 30 days. Um, and just n not having the daily interaction. I'm very used to being in an office with my workers and talking with them and joking with them and learning about their personal lives. Um, and just being, uh, you know, even just having these motivational talks and just being human and then going and being by myself for so many days. I really learned to appreciate that interaction I had with them and I and miss it. So, Susan, what I hear you saying is that to you, to be a nurse is to inherently have to care for people. And you're in a space where at times you've been discouraged to and that there's a barrier of care that you shouldn't care. And it seems to me that there's an interesting tension there. Yeah, there is. And there was a point during that lockdown where I just said, I don't care. You know, I don't care. I have to do what I have to do. I have to get medicine where I have to get it. There was a point when in the lockdown where people weren't getting, you know, self-meds. You get a card, but I, they, we were kind of trying to carry them on ourselves, you know, but, or in a, in your hand to go to a unit, but that's not very practical because you have to set it down. You have like a jillion envelopes. So we just, you know, I just put them all in a box one day for everybody, everybody that we had on there on my list. It just went to a box. And so then we started taking the box with us down to, to the units. And then there was a, t a point when, um, you know, we weren't supposed to go into the pod for whatever reason. But standing at the door, people are getting in and out. I'm in the way of stuff. If you say, hey, you know, I need, don't need you to go in and out of the door because it's medline time, then it only exacerbates tension and aggravation. So I just went inside pod. And that was actually the point when that I started uh, liking it best. You know, you get to know people. I saw people... Um, you know, with their artwork, their creativity, keep trying to keep their head and down to earth, not letting themselves get overly frustrated or depressed or something, you know, and uh, it's amazing. So, you know. 
Learning about the unique qualities of people inside prison was interesting to hear from both of them. With Susan going into the pod and seeing people's art, she started seeing the humanity in these men. And then Sergeant Cooper realizing with that her workers had these unique lives, every one of them. I think to hear that revealed through all the re- really... They're, it's just interesting the fact that when they were separated from these people, like Susan didn't know these men on that level, but then Cooper realized how much she did know her workers and she missed them. And I, I think that that's just the humanity that COVID was revealing. Desmond Tutu once shared this thought with the world, and I quote, my humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. Denise, I ask then, when all you are trying to do is keep it together, does humanity help glue the pieces? Well, I ask this, if a pedometer could measure the steps it takes to cross barriers in prison, like showing the general rules of human interaction, a little kindness, a little caring, then Susan took a journey through 2020. An amazing woman. Susan, I watched the news and throughout this time, I continuously see nurses in the public working extremely hard. And naturally, I assume that this is true for CDOC medical staff as well. So can you please describe your working conditions during the pandemic lockdown? My working conditions. Oh, you know, they were hard. They were we were working 16 hours. If I had a step counter, I have a step counter now. I did not have a step counter during some of those most important months. But they were, you know, we were doing med lines at midnight because we just didn't have any other time to get caught up or do it, you know? I mean, it was just one from the moment we got in till the moment we left. We weren't getting a lot of lunch breaks or bathroom breaks. Right. So having these long and hard hours, I can tell that to you, it is more than just a job. But my question to you is why? What motivates you to help? What motivates you to be a healer? You know, uh, gosh, I've thought about this question a million times, and I don't know if I really have the answer to that. I just, I just do. I mean, I just, I just, uh, there are points when, especially in nursing, you have to, leave your ego behind and focus on what your duty is as a as a nurse as a helper as someone who's chosen to go into a uh, profession that indeed saves lives or influences lives and that is um you know if there's a if i recognize somebody who needs a specific thing medicine you know, thing that I'm going to help them get that because that is what I feel drawn to, you know, motivation in that, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say that it's not a thankless job because it is a thankful job. I'm thankful to see people's faces when, you know, when they've been helped. It's easy for us to understand the impact that COVID has had within the facility but I can only imagine what that impact has been on staff. What have you seen as far as what COVID has done to impact staff during this time? I think um, COVID has definitely added stressors 
to everybody's life. Um, you know, sometimes it's, you know, just the mental game of saying, I have to go to work, I have to wear a mask all day. Um, I have to be separated from my coworkers. I can't even have communal lunches. Um, so things like that. Um, but also just the interactions that I have with, you know, the offenders here is I used to be able to have, you know, girls come down whenever they needed to. And there was a time when I couldn't even do that. And so providing services to you guys, may, it was a lot more difficult, but I had the the drive to do something. Um, so trying to find ways to do that. Um, and then, you know, working with coworkers who we don't know how they're doing at home, um, what they're do facing, if they've had family members um, like be sick or anything like that. Um, and trying to understand that and practice patience with each other, um, but also using accountability for ourselves and saying, okay, I'm stressed about this outside. Let me not bring that inside and put that on anybody else, coworkers or the offenders or anything like that. So um, you just have to kind of really be self-aware um, a lot more, I've noticed recently. The thing I hear with the security staff or the nurse is the thoughtful compassion that they led with um, throughout all of this that, that was always, they were thinking, not only, they weren't really thinking of themselves the whole time. That's what I hear. Denise, I hear it as well. And it is a good example of good people doing good things for other people. Being one of the first faces that new arrivals into DOC come into contact with, have you ever felt a sense of fear of getting or passing COVID? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one of my biggest things is I don't ever want to be the reason that either my family gets COVID or my workers get COVID because I do have three offender workers. And as long as um, unit one is not in phase three, I can have those three work with me. If not, then I am by myself. But just knowing the risk of me going back and forth throughout the facility and possibly spreading it um, or getting it from here. And most likely it would be from a new arrival who is coming from county. So it is kind of, it's reassuring a little bit to have that quarantine period. But at the same time, I understand that it does take a toll on those new arrivals. So we try to get them in as soon as their quarantine is over. Can you describe your emotional state during the pandemic lockdown? You know, when things were emotionally rough and when things were hard? Mm. I was so overwhelmed by everything. I mean, my God, by being locked down, by being overwhelmed with work tasks, with illness, with, how, with you know, performing, with with trying to help with everything. I was overwhelmed. I just sometimes at some point, I just didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. Can you tell us a specific story, an instance where you cared for someone during COVID? There were some people here. There were some men here. 
that I will miss. I mean, I can't help it. I can't, I can't help it as a person, as a human being, as a nurse, you know, where people are sick and, and dying. There's just, and there's no way to really, you know, help them do anything except to hold their hand or to just put your hand on their shoulder. I don't know. Oh, God. That was what it was like during the, during this whole fucking thing. It's just. Try not to be overwhelmed. How would you say that COVID-19 and the pandemic itself has changed you? For sure, it has made me, um, it's opened my eyes to the luxury of being able to come and go every day. You know, everybody, I've heard, and I've said it before, um, you know, who goes to prison every day and chooses to? You know? <laughs> <laughs> they must be crazy. <laughs> and, you know, you take advantage of the fact that you do get to walk out the door every day and come back. Um, and so it has put in perspective of, you know, what you guys have gone through, um, some of the struggles you guys have, have had to face, and trying to be understanding and patient and doing as much as I can to help relieve some of that, even if it is just a new pair of underwear, you know. And you are amazing uh, at your job, too. You are greatly appreciated. Know that. Thank you so much. Um, and it's just positivity, a smile. Well, you can't see smiles because the mask. <laughs> in their eyes. But you can see it in our eyes. And you can mm -hmm. tell people to have a great day. And you can, if you see somebody a little bit off you can ask them are you doing okay because most of the time they're not and um if they can open up and just be able to share that with somebody for 10 seconds out of my day then it's worth it i have one more question for you and that is how has the covid19 pandemic changed you and that can be in any way how has it moved you how has it shaped you emotionally Mentally, whatever. <laughs> mm. I think that COVID has left me, I don't know, stunned. I just feel, I just am stunned. You know, sometimes I think I just need to like sit back and just like not do anything and just you know absorb the terrible impact of this whole thing you know it has left me exhausted exhausted i'm tired of wearing a mask i'm tired of being separated i want to interact i want to go out i want to travel you know that i'm just it has left me a little frustrated a little in need of things that chill me out because uh, I find that you know with this degree of separation I get easily frustrated would you say that COVID-19 has given you a gift it has um what would that be appreciation um I think sometimes it's just 
just um, realizing that other people may need you and sometimes it's okay to fake it until you make it and usually if I came in in a bad mood or if I was like I'm tired of doing this by myself physically mentally and somebody walked by and said do you need help or just um, you know hearing the appreciation from you guys um, it really has changed my attitude as far as wanting to be a better team player for staff but also wanting to be a good um, resource for you guys and um, being supportive of everybody in the facility as much as I can. So if there was one message that you would want to convey at a time like this, what do you think it would be? Um, I think just the uncertainty and the isolation of this should show us that um, connections are so important and it doesn't have to be um, anything that's it do, it's not hard to do it's just being a genuine person is being respectful it's being supportive and and it's communicating and so I think if anything I think COVID could really bring us together rather than isolate us and bring us apart so Denise what's on your mind we just had a moment to listen to some some staff, and um, I'd like to just take a moment to talk about how it was for incarcerated people, because uh, I think it's super important that we always get both sides. And uh, I know for me, the pandemic and COVID, it's deeply affected me. I remember in the beginning of this, it was like, there was a lot of fear because there, there was a lot of uncertainty about stuff that was happening. And then it was just how, like, pod by pod was starting to get locked down and then all of a sudden the whole entire prison got locked down and uh we still got to meet in it intermittently through you know the beauty of virtual technology um we were still kind of touching base as far as the podcast production and um that was like a an anchor throughout all of it but the reality was is I just saw people um you would see people get packed out and they'd be moving down in the yard and you're like oh they're going to isolation you know and so you knew that they would be gone but you didn't know for how long they would be gone and then uh and then it was always like every week we were getting tested it was like you had this fear of like are you going to have COVID have you had COVID should you wash your hands more should, did I wear my mask enough? Did I not wear my mask enough? Um, so all these questions just started coming up and then just realizing more and more, like, if I did get COVID, I would have to go into isolation and then you're in quarantine. And um, and then you wonder, who else did you get sick? Because you didn't know you were sick. Um, because people were dying from this. I have a, uh, I have a uh, fear of dying in prison. And when we were locked down, there was a point in time when I felt like I could die in prison. And it became scary because I was okay with that. I would wrap myself up in sheets because I know it's airborne and I didn't want any kind of human contact because I know had I caught COVID, I most likely would have died because my immune system is too weak to fight it off. And I really worried about the impact I would have left on the world and how I would be remembered 
are not remembered and how my body would just be buried in some wooden box and it would just have a number over it. And that would be my legacy. And then I heard when you got COVID, Denise, that really fucked me up. Because we only get to see each other over the internet. And what if I never saw you again? I'm glad you would have missed me, Andrew. Um. <laughs> when I caught COVID, uh, I didn't believe it because I literally had just worked out in the gym that morning and I come back to the unit and they were like, Preston, you need to pack your stuff. And I was like, why? And they're like, uh, you've been exposed to COVID. And immediately I was like, what? No. And uh, sure enough, my roommate had tested positive and, uh, and I was like, cool, I'm fine. You know, and uh, I'm in the isolation pod. I had to pack all my stuff. I had to leave the dog team for that time. So I didn't have a dog. You know, they say moving is one of life's major stressors. And you think when you put all your stuff in a duffel bag, your life literally fits in three cubic feet of storage. And uh, that's what your life is. And you're like, you have to tell yourself, this is it. I might actually die. So I thought, as I said goodbye to all my friends, because literally like our whole hall rate got was tested positive, but somehow I didn't test positive, but I had been exposed. So I had to go to quarantine and uh, there's all my stuff in a little duffel bag. And uh, here I am trying to figure out how I'm going to go through these next 14 days at least. Hopefully I don't test positive. And sure enough, uh, I was in quarantine for isolation for a week and then I tested positive and I in fact had COVID. So you pack your stuff up in one duffel bag and you move to another pod and that's the quarantine pod. So I went from isolation to a quarantine cell and, uh, you know, it was so crazy cause that, that Wednesday I got my little letter that said I had tested positive for COVID and I was like, I don't feel sick. And I swear the next day I literally felt like something had just washed over me. I'd never felt so sick before in my life. And, uh, so Thursday went into Friday in these night sweats and uh, I would wake up just completely drenched um, in sweat from the fever. I always say, thank God I didn't get the cough because a lot of people, their lungs were affected and uh, I just had such severe body aches that I could barely move. And uh, I'm not, I'm not one to lay down in bed all day, but I couldn't move and I couldn't sleep. You don't get times to call people because the pod times are all weird. So when you did get out of yourself for an hour, um, you couldn't really call anybody. So you literally don't know what's going on in the outside world. And you start contemplating like like what you said, Andrew, your legacy. And you didn't get a chance to say goodbye to people. And I think that's one thing with COVID is it took so much. And I don't just mean like the loss of jobs or the impact economically in society. It took so much from us. We lost so many people and I know I what I lost and all of it was such such a, a sense of security. Like I was sure that my life was 
you know, okay. But then when you're given something like that and you don't know if you're going to live or die, like that's a, that's a scary thing. Cause I like to think my health is, is pretty up there. But when I was like really unsure if I was going to live or die, like it was Saturday and a Sunday night, I'll never forget that. I literally was so in so much pain. Um, I'd never felt pain like that before in my life. And somebody had said it was like, coming off a of heroin and I so I, I'm like now I know what it feels like to come off a of heroin and if that's anything this is like to all the people that are drug addicts um if that's what you feel like when you're coming off a of heroin no wonder you want another hit um because that was the most pain I've ever experienced physically and then like two days after that like horrible pain I started feeling better and I was like, this is so, it was, I, it was so crazy. Like I can't even experience, like it was like not only a physical sickness, like your spiritual, like everything in your spiritual life comes to focus, um, in such a weird way. That's all I got. You know what, Denise, since the beginning of 2020, I've experienced some of the most difficult days of my life. But I'm not a glasses half empty type of guy, you know. Um, I always look for the benefit or always look for the sunshine behind the cloud. And the pandemic, although it was extremely difficult, you know, difficult for all of us. It has given me the chance to be more grateful to have more appreciation for the people in my life, more appreciation for favorable situations and circumstances. Because each day that we're alive, each day is fleeting. And when it's all said and done, I want people to know really that I just, I love people. To know that I live my life from a position of gratitude. And... And that's it. But I have to ask you, Denise, my friend, my sister, what is it that the pandemic has gifted you? I know for me that uh, that my gift was uh, like getting a second chance. An appreciation for a deeper gratitude for life um, and for relationships. Totally. Like I, I love you guys so much, and what this podcast family means to me was uh, deeply revealed. I just uh, it showed to me like I think that the reality is is in prison. Prison's hard enough already, um, and then you compound a problem uh, with not so. Um, practice solutions because this is a, something that had never been um, dealt with before and even what we took away with this whole thing about the humanity that was revealed like just seeing staff deal with both sides of it them coming into prison every day them being tested every day um, and some were like super nice and super understanding and were helpful and some just couldn't because they were dealing with their own stuff and I think that that's what I want people to understand that people are just people no matter what position they feel in life.
because I know for myself, and I'm sure for you, Andrew, you put a, people put pressure on you for who you represent and what you do. And uh, I think oftentimes we forget. And as much as we uh, rely on others, I think there has to be a lot of grace given in a lot of situations in life. Um, there's a saying that you should walk gently or softly in other people's lives because you don't know what they're dealing with. And I think that that's what I would leave this conversation with. I would do amazing things so they believe that daily we can be the very change that we want to see. So I gotta live courageously, embracing peace and love contagiously until they call me Travis 19. I would do amazing things so they believe that daily we can be the very change that we want to see. So I gotta live courageously, embracing peace and love contagiously until they call me Travis 19. For Within Season 2, we have our resident poet, William S. Graham, from the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center, back with us in the virtual room. In all of our interviews, Will sits, listens, and then crafts an individualized poem for each interview. Here's Will. A mutual role. A look in the mirror reveals isolation. Man, purpose unknown to my open heart. Walking down the aisle of change and pain. <laughs> Steady tearing us apart. Who else feels this way? With the mask over our mouth. Restricting everything I want to say. But revealing everything about me. Wrestling with doubt. This is hard on the soul. Protecting the purpose of another definitely has a toll. Compassion over control. As if to say or ask. What is my role? Am I mutual? For more content, music, poetry, and visual art, look deeper within at thisiswithin.com. Within is Ashley Hamilton, executive producer, Andrew Draper, co host, Denise Presson, co host, Terry Mosley, producer, Angel Lopez, media production and creative support. William S. Graham, Denver Complex Creative Consultant. Sean Marshall, Associate Producer. Travis Barnes, Creative Music Producer. Sarah Berry, Associate Producer. Matthew Labonte, Segment Co-Host. Brett Phillips, Segment Co-Host. Within is a collaboration between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Thank you for listening and choosing to look within. I'm looking like my parents judging my appearance And looking at the planet, I look like the difference The description I was handed was apocalyptic And to be candid, the prediction wasn't optimistic I'm altruistic, such conditions got my spirits lifted I never had a like or mention, but I hear I'm gifted I'm not the center of attention, I'm just here to give it Since I'm about my father's business, I ain't here to visit You get it? None of this world, I'm just only in it And my intention is to spread like a pandemic to every woman, every child, and every man in it Yes, I'm infected with love, and yes, you can't get it I'm on a man mission, just like a pioneer And took the social conditions behind your eyes and ears The silver line is reminding somewhere the skies are clear My enterprise rides through the final frontier